episode one. My name is Josh Hall. Brady Shaw. I'm Andy Moore. I'm the guest this week. Uh, hopefully every month, unless I wear out my welcome. <laughs> um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the gun of the month. What is something you may should avoid? How to differentiate in between shooting and training and why it's important. Also, I'm going to cover uh, generally how not to be subpar with a firearm. Okay. That's, a, that's a big problem too because I feel like this time of like era, the next generation coming up just has no clue. You know, I see like my cousins and they're just, you know, it's like head on like the screen and there's no focus on like the outdoor. Yeah. And it's hard to like, <clears throat> you know. Well, the big thing too is that there's such an attack on the Second Amendment right now that we have to make sure everyone's educated so that we're not screwing up. Okay, because we have to protect that right for, you know, our kids or our grandkids and all that. In my mind, education is unquestionably and without fail the key to responsibility. Whether it be with guns, whether it be with cars, whether it be with, you know, homemade freaking rocket ships, dude. Education equals responsibility. And yeah. that is, that's what we need to preach to whether it be ourselves, remind ourselves to get out of the ranch and train a little bit more, or the next generation. It's absolutely critical. Yeah, that's what we're trying to get out of our podcast, too. We just want to educate everyone and educate ourselves on a lot of things that, you know, maybe we're not proficient at, and hopefully some of our listeners need some help on. And if not, you know, I hope, like, future guests um, come with more knowledge to explain, you know, touch on points that you did. Everybody's got their own opinion, Mm -hmm. I feel. No promises. I'm 36 and product of Kentucky Public Education, but I'll do what I can to uh, (laughs) continuously improve, guys. (laughs) So, I mean, a little bit about Andy, uh, retired Air Force JTAC, and the most okayest gun salesman. That's my goal. I just want to be the okayest gun counter guy. You know, when I come to a gun counter, there's you know, 400 guns in there, and mm-hmm. you're just like, and I come to you, and I'm like, hey, I, I want a compact gun to carry, or I'm trying to get into that. <clears throat> I have no idea, and I know it's hard to grab knowledge about every single handgun. Where do you start with gathering that knowledge? Well, it, I think one of the big things that's, that, it's a store I work at, um, I'm mainly doing that because I, shoulder surgery, I couldn't be a professional fun haver and be a skeet snowboard instructor this week, this winter. But what it comes down to is defining the customer and figuring out what's important to them. If at all possible, and if their budget allows, which to be honest with you, shouldn't necessarily be in my business, but sometimes there's no question about it. Hey, how much you want to spend? We go for a minimum quality standard. What gun fits your physical needs? As in, uh, for this specifically in pistols, you know, if you're elderly and you can't rack a slide in a semi-automatic or you hate your thumbs hurting from stuffing magazines all day whatever the case may be that's what I define as physical needs does a firearm meet your physical needs and then does it meet your lifestyle and that's kind of the hardest thing we're going to get into that a little bit later of like you know we may have a super like a Ruger LCP really small pocket pistol style gun as terrible as pocket carry is it exists um, or we may have a Smith & Wesson 500 and where in that left to right median our apex of the triangle is is and that's a lifestyle question that's kind of hard um you know hey if you want to carry all day you know the gun can pinch it between your butt cheeks hey an lcp <laughs> an lcp is a great gun <laughs> carry that in the old prison pocket how do you say it uh shooting a credit card yeah it's, but <laughs> on the other hand shooting it I, I do joke a lot it's you know you pull on those little guns it's like shooting a credit card 
not mm-hmm. the most suitable, um, not the most enjoyable on the range, which which oftentimes leads to a lack of training, mm-hmm. which is really what it comes down to. We tell a lot of customers that the most important thing in a gun store sells is the ammunition. However, what we cannot sell and don't sell is your motivation to get out to a range and use it in a meaningful way. Yeah. You know, while, while I joke that ammo is cheaper than therapy, being a responsible gun owner means being proficient with your firearm. Exactly. And I had this conversation actually the other day um, with a couple, and the P, the SIG P365. 365, yeah, great I got carry one. gun. I love it. Yeah, yeah, very compact, easy to carry. Um, but she could not rack the slide very well. Granted, in a concealed environment, you have to rack slide one time. If that. For some yeah. Time. yeah. But the big thing is, is you need something that you're going to be able to get range time out of and that you're going to be able to shoot a lot. Proficiency of. and comfort. And where if, you, if you're having trouble racking that, you know, and then it's not going to make you want to shoot. It's not going to make you want to go to the range and yeah. actually get proficient at shooting to where maybe you shouldn't have a conceal if you're not proficient enough. Well, and that leads into a whole different discussion, right. um, you know, in, in day-to-day life. Yeah. Are you, whether it's at your office job or when you see a guy with a flat tire or whether you, you know, you're, you're, you're walking upstairs and, you know, somebody's struggling with a bunch of bags, are you an asset or are you a liability? Right. And, you know, it, and that's just, that comes down to being a good person. You know, so kindness, when you, whenever you possibly can, dude, you know, I, I carry a gun 365 days a year. I've got a pretty stacked resume as far as um, it's referred to as work stuff, um, doing doing stuff on on multiple on five combat tours. But when it comes down to it, is you know I don't need to be some flat bill wearing lifted truck driving hard ass. I, you know, we get it. You're cool. You're you're tough or whatever. But like, hey, dude, when there's no lady struggling, when there's anybody struggling, bags going upstairs. Hey, grab a couple bags. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it. Be kind of whenever possible. Exactly. That is being an asset and not a liability. Being the guy that pushes her out of the way or being a guy that doesn't hold an elevator for somebody or being the guy that doesn't hold the door on a date. I'm sorry, dude. That's that's a liability. You're putting negativity in the world. And that's that never comes back in a positive light on you, what you do, or what you're trying to represent as a human being. Yeah. <clears throat> so talking about concealability, what made you choose, I don't know if you want to say, but I mean, what guns do you conceal mm-hmm. and... What all made of you choose those? <laughs> all, all of your all guns. Of, all of I have, I have, a, I have my AR-15 in my pants I, right now. I, I can't I, even my, tell my the difference. My favorite concealed gun is a M4 Carl Gustav recoilless <laughs> rifle. It fires a 82 millimeter uh, high explosive DPSEM round. No, actually, I don't. Um, <laughs> all gun laws refrigerants. <laughs> that should be available on the bidding machine. All right, glad we thought. Glad we um, dropped but that in there. No, what what I go for is very much we got to look at what we call the probability of threat. Mm-hmm. And I preach that a lot is if you go in a really bad part of town, I assess is your, is whatever you're going to get in that part of town. If you have a probability of threat that necessitates you carrying a gun, honestly, look at it objectively. Do you need to go there? Let's go for step one. If you're on Craigslist and you want to buy a used PlayStation 4, is that deal on the PS4 something that you can't live without to the point that you're willing to jeopardize your safety? And or go to jail for the rest of your life for mm-hmm. killing a guy because he tried to kill you first. Which, whenever we shoot a gun, we need to realize that is very much a possibility. 
Um, so look at the probability threat. You know, it, I dress in two extremes. I either look like I'm getting ready to go climb a mountain, or I look like I'm a homeless gym rat. <laughs> um, one of those two things, you know, my normal attire works with my Glock 19. It's a 15-round capacity mid-size pistol. I do carry a spare mag for it. Not that I think I'm going to get in a 15-round gunfight at all, ever. But the option, instead of working a problem with feed, I can just replace the whole magazine, is a lot easier. So I choose to carry a mid-size pistol with 30 rounds. Well, it's it's that, um, you know, expect the best, plan for the worst kind of action. Exactly. Um, and then my, my current homeless gym rat gun, my favorite gun right now because I love the pants off it and I'm not sponsored by SIG. I'm not that good a shooter. Um, is uh, SIG P365. It's a compact 10-round capacity gun. Uh, my lovely wife got it for me for Christmas and surprised the pants off me with it. Um, but yeah, that's that's small and light enough that I can wear it in sweatpants in a good quality holster. Key, good quality holster. Kydex holster, which blocks the trigger guard therefore preventing any accidental negligent discharges. Mm-hmm. I can carry it in a good quality holster in some as light as sweatpants while I'm walking the dogs at 5 a.m. in my dark neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood, but the bottom line is, as you said, Brady, plan for the best. Or excuse me, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> balancing off of all the, these different firearms, let's dive into the firearm of the month. My pick for gun of the month. Um, I think it's very underappreciated and only because it's not very widely known, would be the Tika T3X series of rifles. Uh, if you guys look at the uh, picture on the screen, T3X is mainly marketed as just a bare-bones hunting rifle. It, it is except, exceptionally accurate. Uh, it's one of the only firearms in the market now that comes with a one MOA guarantee. There's only two or three manufacturers available in America for, let's call it a mortal price range, that are available with a no-joke Guaranteed. This gun shoots one MOA, which is 1.047 inches at 100 yards. 0.47 does add up when you're talking long range. But wonderful value. It's available in 243 all the way through Win Mag. One of the cool things about the Tika T3 is most calibers are available in left-handed for you odd-handed folk. Um, it's available in your oddball Wisdom calibers, uh, 270, 300 win short mag, everything else. It's basically magazine-fed, super light. If it were possible for a company to, grammatically it doesn't make sense, add simplicity to a rifle, that's exactly what Tika's done. Um, I dig them because they're super economical to pretty freaking high-end. For $680, uh, $680 about the going street price for a Tika T3 Lite in blue chromoly barrel. Um, that's, that's a phenomenal it's, price. Too. It's, a great, it's a great value. And the other thing about that is, I think unless you're down southeast or really, really humid, wet environment, save the money. Get get a blue chrome ollie. You, you have to take very, very, very terrible care of your gun, or your life in general, to have a gun <laughs> rust away on you. Even the most pedestrian care will keep a blued rifle completely rust-free and everything. And 120 bucks between the blued and the stainless can go a long way towards better glass, which is... Mm-hmm exceptionally important. More money spent on better scopes is very rarely regretted. So, Black Friday, we sold mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, Savage Axis. A lot of Savage Axis. A lot of Savage Axis. What, tell us the importance of having such a great out-of-box sub-MOA versus kind of a cheaper <clears throat> rifle. One thing I do say a good bit about Savage Axis in most synthetic stock rifles, to be honest with you, is that we're in 2019, 2020, 
and beyond. We're not really in the era of Grandpappy's meat gun. We have a nice, pretty walnut stock and everything on there. Um, guns are thankfully designed a little bit more purpose, a little bit less fashion in them. Um, this is a true lifetime. Any gun, you know, Savage 110, an older generation Remington 700, um, obviously a Tico. We're talking a lifetime rifle. Um, what I do tell all customers is that a Savage Axis isn't really a lifetime gun. That's a gun that you can more or less expect to grow out of. Uh, with package deal rifles, a lot of times we see a lot of skipping on scopes and scope mounts. Exactly. And a, a rifle is a system of systems. You know, you have a scope which is made out of thin gauge aluminum, glass for the love of God, and very, 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 very fine adjustments. Um, with that, probably not a good place to skimp because all those things on their own are very fragile. Yeah. We have the mounts. If you put the best scope in the world in crummy mounts, it's going to shoot like a Red Rider BB gun. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you'll shoot your eye out that whole... Christmas stories thing. Um, and then third, the, the rifle, what I say oftentimes is a mainline rifle. Um, you know, Tika, while it's up on the screen, is their mainline rifle is a T3X. Remington is a 700. Savage is a 110. Pergar's um, B14, blah, blah, blah. The mainline rifle is the Chevy 1500. Chevy Ford guy, F-150. Fill in your blank there. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, if I told you they, they make a Chevy 1500 with a lot cleaner machining, that's going to be a 150,000-mile truck, and then they make a Chevy 1500 with the old worn-out machines from the last generation that's going to be an 80,000-mile truck or a 50,000-mile truck, and the bottom line is if one costs 20000 one costs 24000 that extra 4000 you know, give or take 20% public math, Kentucky education, <laughs> I would I would say is is very much worth it just because it's it's a lifetime investment. Exactly. When you go up just one incremental step. Yeah, and I'm glad you said the price is like twenty thousand, twenty four thousand, uh, because the price difference between this gun and the package axis is not a lot. Granted, you also have to pay for a yeah. scope and rings, but. <clears throat> I mean, basically what you should do is throw away that scope and rings, right, on the axis? I I say that it's something you're... It's usually the first thing people outgrow. Yeah. And, and outgrowing doesn't necessarily mean it craps the bed. Um, outgrowing means you're going to realize the area you're hunting in... We're going to get optics later. The area you're hunting in isn't conducive to that zoom range, mm -hmm. or the reticle in there is another big thing I'm picky on. You don't prefer that reticle. If it's just a straight crosshair and you're taking long-range shots, that isn't really going to help you that much. Because while for generations and generations, the, okay, well, we're, we're going to hold a head high mm. has been the go-to, and, and it works. It does. If we can take that out of the equation, equaling a more accurate shot and guaranteeing a more ethical kill of the animal, why not? It, right. it, it yeah. very most, it's good. No joke, 200 bucks for a Vortex Diamondback Tactical. Or excuse me, vortex down back four to twelve or three to nine, two hundred bucks will will get you more success in hunting and a more ethical kill. And exactly. at the end of the day, ethics in hunting, or you know, betting a case of beer with your friends who can be the first to hit six hundred, whatever the case may be, you want to get that case of beer. And I don't care if you're trophy hunting, skin hunting, whatever the case may be, meat hunting. You know, just go all the way back to the day where we're using every part of the animal. We owe that animal an ethical death. Right. We owe a quick and painless death. That's what we all hope for, right? Not only is it illegal, but excuse me, it's just a plain asshole thing to do wounding an animal. Yeah. And that's I think that's our like <clears throat> we should be stewards of hunting. We need to be 
you know, conservative of our environment, you know, protect our rights and and give that most ethical kill. And on the flip side, who wants to track an animal for three miles? <laughs> I know, I know, I don't. Out here in Colorado, out here in Colorado, base elevation is pushing seven thousand, eight thousand feet. I do not want to walk one step further than oh, I have to. Man. And you know, Josh, great point, dude. Responsibility. Mm-hmm. Education equals responsibility equals us keeping our ability to insert verb here, yeah. L- literally across the board. I um, I've made good shots and I've made bad shots. And what's it like making a bad shot? Every day, every, every <laughs> I I would take, I would take every day that I made a bad shot to be like you know it happens it does happen you know mm-hmm. there's a lot that could be you know. You, you might have not seen that stick, you know, you might have shot through some brush that you didn't think was going to be there. And you come through and you're like, oh, that stick's broke. Oh, and I hit a little too far back. Um, it happens. You don't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. But like Brady said, you do not want to track that animal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sucks. But, I mean, <laughs> it is your, I mean, it's our responsibility. You know, if we shoot an animal, we do the best we can to track it. You know, that, if that means spending eight hours trying to find where the hell this animal went after the blood, after the blood trail ended a mile ago, you know, that's kind of our responsibility as far as hunters go to, to get that done. Absolutely. Well, while we're on gun of the month, why don't we go to trash, trash of the month? Beforehand, I'm going to hit oh. on honorable mention for gun of the oh, month. Oh, honorable mention. Oh, yeah. Honorable oh, mention. Um, what we've said, not to be super preachy at all. But honorable mentions, any old twenty two you got sitting in the closet, dusty, nasty, crappy scope, everything. It's twenty two, who cares? With the Ruger ten twenty two being America's unofficial first rifle for most most kids. Uh, so I taught my daughter to shoot on, she loved it. Uh, she's since at eight years old already moved on in the AR fifteen. So heck yeah for you. Yeah, yeah. But I think any old twenty two. And don't go out and spend some crazy money on some Gucci out twenty two with mm-hmm. you know, all the cool scope and Shiniest colors and shit on it. Um, 22s are great. It's dirt cheap. It's beyond dirt cheap. We're looking like three to five cents around. Yeah. Stay in practice in the offseason. The bottom line, even even if it's iron sights, you get breath control. You get stress management. You get time with a gun in your hand in a safe environment. Yes. For cheap. The, 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 the cost-benefit analysis on this is overwhelming. Um, you teach your kids how to shoot, which as we hit on, dude, that is, that is key I'm what I guess some people call Second Amendment absolutist. I believe all gun laws are infringements. And the way we can do that, the way we can ensure that, is to teach the next generation proper, safe, responsible gun handling. That will lead to responsibility through education, period. Point blank. Um, Also, for for us, uh, let's say, kidless, enjoying single life guys... Oh, Rad sick. times, Josh. Okay. Rad times, Brady. <laughs> no um, Dude, run a summer beer league. You guys get three or four of your buddies together. Even if you, even if everybody share a gun, who cares? Even if everybody have one, share the same gun. But come up with little diabolical things to do. You know, every Sunday when you meet up at the range at church or whatever the case may be. You know, eggs on eggs on golf tees. You know, golf balls or tennis balls hanging on string or whatever. <laughs> Make there be a punishment for hitting the golf tee. And a reward for hitting the uh, hitting the egg or whatever the case may be, but yeah, you know, make it super cheap. You know that's the fun of twenty twos. Make it super cheap. Hey, winner gets a case of beer. Everybody throws in two bucks in a pot. It's that it's that simple. But it keeps us in practice. It keeps our practical riflemanship up, and it allows us to to hopefully next season 
be exceptionally comfortable when that four-second shot window comes up. Mm-hmm. You got, bam, animal pops out, whether it's under a tree stand or at, at 400 yards. Animal pops up, you got 400 yards. You know to hit that natural exhalation point. You know to, you know where to put that stock on your shoulder. You know what your trigger squeeze is. And, hey, if you got a free case of beer out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I don't think anybody can complain about that. No, I mean, we've had this talk a lot about, you know, 1022s and all that. And honestly, it's just a way to get out and have fun without having to spend, you know, 50 bucks for a box of 100 rounds, you know? Like, yeah, like, no doubt. like two to three or something no like that. 550 for a. Uh, 22 bucks at your local uh, sporting goods store. Man, yeah. That's, that's and roll, sm- that's smiles per dollar spent. Exactly. Ooh. Rolling off of the 22, um, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but a 22 is also a great gun if you're trying to get into that longer range shooting with Very a good caliber like a 308 and, you know, training at, what was it, 200 yards? With 200 to 800 is, is basically a quarter scale diagram of 308, depending on the ammo, the elevation, things. Without getting super nerdy into it, yeah, it's a good trainer. Excellent. Um, trash gun. Trash gun. Trash gun. Uh, this is where I don't make friends. <laughs> uh, all our esteemed listeners, and maybe some of you heathens that aren't so esteemed, if you have a Condor Over Under by Stoker, that is my pick for the trash gun of the month. Uh, they are a bit lacking, dare I say, in, in user friendliness. Um, super heavy, no automatic extractors, so you're popping fingernails off and shit trying to trying to get these hot shells out. Um, I would say it's unbalanced, but that is absolutely a fallacy. Both ends are crazy heavy. Ridiculous. So I wouldn't quite say it's unbalanced because both ends are boat anchors. Um, other things on that, I, th- I think good alternatives, unless you just really into the over-under scene and I want to get into it for a mega low price, in which case I have options. For about the same money as the Stoger, you can get a phenomenal 870 police turn-in. Uh, police, if you just Google them, police turn-in 870s are about 90% are built on a 3.5-inch Wingmaster receiver. So one of the toughest, beefiest receivers Winchester ever put in an 870. Um, also, 500, 590 Mega cheap, like 329 bucks for a good quality pump. New barrels, if you want to home defense one day and skeet and trap with the boys the other, burden hunting, whatever the case may be, new barrels are 120 bucks. So grab that grab that 18 and a half inch police turn in, get an FFL to your local dealer for 300 bucks, spend another 120 on a barrel, you got a $400 kick ass shotgun. Also, if you are into the over unders, if you really are chasing that status symbol of being a cool guy with the over under at the skeet and trap range, uh, Savage Stevens, mega cheap. They always rank top two or three, if not top one, in the budget over under shootout. Mossberg Silver Reserve is the same thing. Both way, 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 way lighter. If you want to spend a little bit more money, a CZ Teal is a really good option. Mm-hmm. Um, CZ is a Czechoslovakian company. They're by no means fly by night. They've been around forever. They kind of made at later time frame, one of the kind of Glocks of Europe, if you will, or one, excuse me, one of the 1911s Europe. Very classic uh, European police gun, CZ-75. Uh, so they're by no means a fly-by-night or new company, not not some Eastern European trash, but uh, they're very good guns, and they're rolling around 850. So eh, almost double the price of a Stoger, but more than double the but gun for sure. Yeah, you're definitely yeah. getting half the weight, though. Oh, God, yes. Half yeah. the weight. That Stoger is just... Like ridiculously heavy. It's like you're carrying around that cannon. 
Swing weight, dude. It's all about swing weight shotguns. As much as I suck on them, it's, it's all about swing weight, dude. I, um, I'm always like, people are like, oh, what are those cheaper ones on the side right there? And I'm like, oh, here, here you go. And they pick them up and they're like, wow, it's a lot heavier. So yeah, they're a little cheaper, but... Well, one of the reasons why, and a lot of people, I do get, even when I hand them a freaking Benelli A28, a, the, the god status of over-unders, close to at least, over-under shotguns, and I didn't realize this until so I did a little research, so we have two separate barrels that are basically silver soldered together by a rib, and so we make two complete firearms, mm-hmm. silver soldered together in, in, in by the ribs to create one give or take point of aim. So metallurgically and build quality wise, they do. I'll give it to Stoker. I mean, it, if it if it's hitting, give or take the same point of aim, it's not easy to make. But like neither are train wheels. I'm reasonably sure that like a like a locomotive wheel and a Stoker are made out of the same material. Yeah. And damn near the same volume of that material. So you know there there may be a better way to skin that cat. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, and I don't. I, granted, I don't bird hunt or anything like that, really. I take my shotgun out. I mean, for all the guys that just take their shotgun out, you know, once or twice a year to go kill a turkey. Me. Andy. <laughs> I have, I mean, I've had, like, a Remington 870 for years and years and years. Still shoots well. Granted, I'm not, you know, skeet shooting. I'm not, you know, trying to shoot 10 ducks a day, 10 no. birds a day. But, I mean, for that, you know couple times a year. I mean, the 870 is a great price gun, and it's shot well for, I don't even know how many years. I think I've had it for at least, like, 10 years, you know? I, uh, That's something I can't complain about. I personally have a Remington 1196. Mm-hmm. Love it to death. I'm not a big pump guy. Um, that's just, like, personal preference. Yeah, plenty of people. Yeah. Because you're weak. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm a weak soul. No. No. It's because you're not poor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it is. <laughs> you got money to spend. You're not poor like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pump wishing you made a little extra money a week. <laughs> um, but some downsides, though, that I find with Remington is actual customer service from the brand themselves. Really? They're hard to get a hold of. Um, they're hard to return stuff to. Um, it's kind of a playoff though, but they make a reliable shotgun. The 870 is a very like reliable shotgun. Yeah, I mean, it's It's not not pretty. It's not North North America shotgun. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's North America shotgun. Whatever can get you out and get you shooting, you know, whether it's once or twice a year for turkey hunting, you know, by all means, like the 870. But yeah, Stoker is just an awfully heavy Sugar. <laughs> the semi-autos aren't a lot better. Uh, Franchis are, Franchis are, marginally more money, but way better, way better gun. But anyway, off trash gun of the month. Off trash gun. Yeah, throw it away. Next? We got some scopes. Oh wow, that was aggressive, Andy. That was aggressive. I, think I may have overplayed my coverage on that one there. No, uh, <laughs> uh, so practical shooting. Uh, I mean, tell us about. You know, like shooting, like just going out and shooting versus actually training. I'm gonna say shooting versus training. Um, I do, I do both, and I enjoy both. There's, there's genuinely no wrong way to celebrate second amendment. Um, shooting versus training isn't two different ballgames. That's dang near two different sports. Uh, while I do very much subscribe to the concept that that. Ammo is cheaper than therapy, for the, for the most part. 
Um, you know, so yeah, hey, yeah, go out, mag dump, freaking do your thing, dude. Heck yeah, love America, love being a patriot. Um, shooting versus training is the concept of going out, and not that it's a bad thing, not that it may not have led a lot of our listeners to success. Shooting, I'd say, is a you know, four or five round a year guy that has grandpappy's meat gun that goes out and you three rounds for zero and one round there. That's all I'm. Which hell yeah, dude, awesome, dude. I grew up in West Kentucky. There's a lot of that. There's a whole lot of that going on. What I'm getting at is those three rounds for zero, one round for the deer, would that not be marginally, you know, I'll take marginally, would that not be marginally better if those three rounds for zero were on a deer silhouette? It could be a step that small mm-hmm. that, that you have then ingrained instead of a instead of bullseye. Hell, get a deer silhouette, take a sharpie. Trust a little bit of sharpie. Get a sharpie, draw an X on at your point of aim. It's still a point of aim, but it's a, it's on a deer silhouette. You're you're conditioning yourself to take that shot. Yeah, that could be training, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, my training is a little bit more in the um, it's called gunfighting arena. That's always training that you know, much like when much like when uh, when somebody buys a pistol. You know, it's if I sell a pistol, I I hope and pray that. After a long, peaceful, happy life, that that person had then their dying breath curse Andy's name for wasting five hundred bucks. We we that is always the go to. But when we do shoot that pistol, we want to be absolutely prepared to do so. Same with the rifle, same with the cannon, same with you know. Once again, not use a car analogy, but everybody's got a car. Yeah. We drive a car at sixty five. We do want to know that the handling character characteristics of the car may be a bit different than at let's say fifteen. That's just prudent living that's being asset not a liability but shooting versus training um with me being a little bit more on the uh, on the gunfighting side of things i generally take new clients out and we'll go from point blank dry fire drills yeah. to engaging multiple targets at multiple distances both laterally as in side to side and vertically separate as in or i guess depth wise separated um, you know, you've got one target three meters, one target seven, one target fifteen, whatever the case may be. What I've seen with just that in a class I'll call PF one, pistol fundamentals one. It's you know, you give or take, know which end the bullet comes out of, and that's what I want from you. If you have these negative habits built up, it may be hard to go hard to overcome. But with PF one, we start with just basic gun safety. You go to dry firing and everything else. But the bottom line is the student leaves after three hours and give or take 150, 200 rounds with the concept of when I go to the range and I have this nice, well-lit area that's air-conditioned to 68 degrees and mm-hmm. super comfy and a nice range table in front of me, that I, I leave there with, tra- or sorry, I go there with training metrics, whether it be draw time, whether it be target acquisition, whatever the case may be, I go there with a set of metrics and I leave there measurably improved on those metrics. Or not. Even knowing where you stand is, is a big thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm glad you started talking about your classes and all that. Let's roll in to uh, TFT, and you can kind of explain us your company yeah. and how um, you're running that and what what your company's all about. I wouldn't I wouldn't by any means call it a company. It's that's that's flattering to say the very least. <laughs> <laughs> Over overstating to be a lot more a lot more accurate with it. 
Um, TFT is for Tomorrow's Fight Today. Actually, Josh, help me come up with that name. And what that's about is preparation. Right. Whether it's the threat analysis I was talking about, probability of threat and that sort of thing, or whether it's knowing how to terminally engage a target, as in how do I put this small chunk of metal on a piece of meat that mm-hmm. objectively it should belong on. Um, the thought process involved therein. With my background, um, it's a lot more of the thought process than the actual action. So I didn't really want to use some cool guy, tactical, Billy Badass like <laughs> thing there. Um, I kind of want to be, that's why I chose the word concepts, not tactics, not training, not anything else. It needs to be a very intimidating environment because in my line of work on a day-to-day 9-to-5, despite being retired, I, I work at a gun store. And there's a lot of, across the nation, there's a lot of false machismo coming from my side of the gun counter. You know, the minute one part per million estrogen walks in the room, airway, three, air, airway 38 special. Or, you know, there's there's no way this frail little woman could ever rack a slide. No, dude, my, my, my wife is five foot two and a stone cold badass, dude. I'm, I'm all about that life. So going into it with it with a fully... I say friendly, smiling, slappy on the slappy on the shoulder, say good job face. I'll call you out if you suck. But going into it with the attitude of a very intimidating environment that is all welcoming to a lot of different clients, that's that's the way once again to preach, that's the way we breed responsibility into the overall um, kind of American climate we find ourselves in politically. Yeah. And you kinda of touched on this. What's kind of your target clientele? Dude, to be honest with you, I'm not in to make money. Um, my my position of work has me meeting a lot of first-time gun buyers, and if, if they seem a bit, let's call it switched on, I love nothing more than teaching somebody how to shoot a gun for the first time and watching that confidence grow. That on to be to be honest with you, I hope my any clients aren't listening or future clients, because don't freaking take me for a ride, dude. Make yourself ride on the range, but <laughs> that, that's why I do it for. I mean, it's. It's not, it's not free by any means, but it's 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 as dear cheap as I can make. I mean, honestly, my, my entire goal is to educate the public mm-hmm. in how to responsibly own a firearm, um, and actually be aggressive with a firearm. Not that doesn't mean carjacking. That literally, yeah, that literally means, that literally means <laughs> whenever our thought process is evolved to the point of okay, we have the option of reason or force in twenty twenty. That's those are the two options. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're we're we've got language, we can communicate. We should communicate. No, there's dude to work built like a brick shit house. Super soft guy, love him to death. But the bottom line is, I'm five nine one sixty five. If that dude wants to use force, even with my skill set, I don't have a lot of force to go back with. I, I'm an adequate fighter, but the dude's six three and two seven. <clears throat> like I can't do a lot. Yeah. By the way, he's talking about me. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of generosity and overstatements, there you go. Um, By the way. No, the punchline is, is is when that reason runs out, our ability to use force is what we have left. Yeah. And I hope it never comes to that. But the more people I can put in a position to use force effectively, a force equalizer, my wife, Otter's 5'2", once again, don't go badass. But the bottom line is she couldn't do much against me until she's until she's on equal footing. And what we have in 2020 is firearms. Mm-hmm. Responsibly used puts anybody of any age in any size category on equal footing with anyone else. Yeah, that's awesome. That's my end state is, is to provide 
my very small part of the world, the ability to use force when reason fails. Yeah. And I preach time and time again, reason until it is absolutely and completely out of the question. God, I hope every client I have is, is a waste of time, money, and energy. Mm-hmm. But in the event they're not, let's provide them with that option to use force. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, what I charge for that, just because I'm in, I'm in a very blessed situation. I'm retired, my mortgage paid, blah, blah, blah. Dude, I want enough money to pay for my ammo cost throughout the month to improve the range that I train on, you know, continuously buy fresh targets, put up some more steel plates, stuff like that. And, I, you know, give or take 25 bucks an hour or the equivalent of 9mm 5.56 ammo is kind of what I go for. I don't, you know, I'm a, I live a very blessed life thanks to my services, Great Nation. Um, and definitely live a blessed life thanks to a lot of other guys. Much, 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 much greater services, Great Nation. Um, but at the end of the day, if I can capitalize off my lucky situation and provide the American public the ability to use equal force and to take, you know, while preaching gun ethics, to take violence out of the equation altogether because, you know, some six foot two dude isn't going to beat up some chick. Fuck yeah. Heck yeah. That's, uh, that's what I want to go for is, is let's go for equalization of force. Mm-hmm. And while preaching violence, if we can use violence as a deterrent, thereby eliminating the possibility, so be it, man. I've, I've given a lot of guys their worst day in, in, the, in their life and sometimes their last day in life. And if we can avoid that sort of... If we can avoid anything coming to that, be it international conflict or some chick walking home from work or some, in some dark parking garage, dude, I can't think of a better use of my time than to do that. Yeah. Me being, you know, 5'11", 140, you know, I don't have a lot of force to give back, as you were saying, that kind of training and that kind of price point, um, I'd be grateful for, you know, to be able to get out and have that kind of training. Mm -hmm. Well, and being, personally being on the range with you, um, I mean, someone of your caliber and your experience, it can kill... It's a really good dad gun joke of my caliber. (laughs) (laughs) That caliber puts it to be nine million. That was my... (laughs) That was my go-to. That's okay. Uh, Josh is a 38. So, I mean, but shooting with someone with your experience, I mean, can really, I mean, it has a possibility and you could easily kill someone's confidence, but being at the range with you, all it did, and being able, you working step-by-step with me, I mean, all it did was build my confidence to the point where I feel like I can actually successfully use a firearm. Because me personally, you know, my experience with firearms is, let's decide to go, let's go kill an animal, you know? That's, I'm kind of there, too. I, yeah. I don't think I, at one point, until I've gotten older, been like, I don't need to have this kind of training. You know? Right. Like that t- kind of, I almost said tactical training. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> but, saying it's a bad word. It's just, it, you know, it's kind of played out. But, I mean, to the to the point where, you know, I've never, I've never like, trained to actually use a handgun for self-defense, you know. Yeah. And, you know, all of you, I shot handguns just for fun, you know, just to go to the target range and do that. But I haven't shot handguns for a cause, you know. And that the I, training that you gave me, it, all it did was build my confidence where I feel like, yeah, I can actually, I feel comfortable. And I feel like I can actually use this. And I think it's super important for everyone who's thinking about carrying is you need to be comfortable and confident with your firearm. I'm going to add to that. The I think the first C, the biggest C, is competent. Competent, yep. Yeah, competent. Three C's. Yeah, it, and that's 
another thing that I preach, and it, keep in mind, Pistol Fundamentals 1 is it, it's asking a customer, a client, to sip through a fire hose. If you can imagine that. It's it's a billion pounds of information coming pretty quick. Yeah. But when laid out in a proper format, it's, it's fairly easy to digest. To digest. Mm-hmm. But with a competence thing and confidence, I spend, you know, of, of let's say three, four hours, I spend, no joke, I spend half an hour in dry firing. You know, put you, your finger on a modern center fire pistol or rifle, your hunting rifle. Let's go back to that, to off-season training. Your finger will fall off of the hand before you damage a modern center fire pistol or rifle, period. And I preach to a lot of my clients in a safe environment, you know, let's... I, when I do this, I've got 20 minutes, 10 minutes scheduled every, you know, third, fourth day where I've, you know, I go and draw from the holster, click, reset, draw from the holster, click, reset, draw from the holster, click, reset. But the bottom line is I'm not shooting a dang thing. Mm-hmm. Dare I say I'd like to, I'd like to shoot where I'm pointing at should a bullet come out, but I've got reps, in, I've got reps down and I've got more time with the gun in my hand. It, it, if you would hand a, an iPhone... You got all three. You got smartphones sitting on the desk. Hand an iPhone to a dude in nineteen ninety six. He would shit his pants probably. But the fact is, since we spend so much time playing Angry Birds and surfing Instagram and everything else, we don't think. We it, hang on, I'm not gonna get Mark Zuckerberg for saying Instagram. <laughs> okay, guys, we're off the air. Um, you know, since we spend so much time with these phones in our hand, it, it's 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 a second nature thing, and being able to spend time with our hands. Time with the gunner hands in a safe environment is, you know, the bottom line is it's repetitions. It's more time, mm-hmm. you know, more trigger squeezes, more side alignment. That being said, dry firing is absolutely free, or it is a very expensive homeowner's insurance claim. Um, there, there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's zero middle ground there. That, that, let me reiterate, there's zero middle ground. You need to have. Not a single loaded round, not a single live round on the same floor of the house as you do, if possible. But yeah, I, I preach a lot on on, on dry firing. Yeah, you know, do it in a safe environment. No kids around, so we're not providing a bad example. Um, and you're perfectly fine. You got a big ass TV. Pause it when there's you know whoever you pick out, and and no joke, run through a shoot no shoot scenario. Is this would this be a shot that I would take? Mm-hmm. Um. And say, hell, look at, watch a Steve Rennell episode, Meat Eaters, great show. Uh, nerd out on it, pisses the wife off or whatever. I love Meat Eaters. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, it's great. Look look at that shot he's taken. Mm-hmm. If through that brush you take it, or the thought process, TFT concepts, not TFT training, tactical, whatever, TFT concepts. Let's engage the most important muscle we got, that bean in between our ears. Do I stalk longer? Do I need to up my stalk game? Mm-hmm. Not, not, not. How can I take the shot? Is should I take the shot? Right. And for everyone listening, even if you shot a gun or shotguns your whole life, it is still important to try and learn from someone who knows more than you. And that's not even you know gun training or all that. That's you know just life in general. If you have the chance to learn from someone who knows more than you, I think always take it. Yeah. Why? And why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, where would you go? On that note, Brady, dude, I got my first, the first time I shot a bow and arrow since Boy Scout camp. Uh, about, I don't know what's been a week ago, if that, and I'm, I'm, I'm abysmal. I'm, I'm not going to say abysmal. 
You bought it a week ago. As long as I'm the last guy on the range, I still claim the record of having the last shot on target. So, you know, if it's a bullseye, I, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm king. I'm king. <laughs> but in the second somebody else steps in the range, oh, the fall from grace is mighty. Anyway, what would you say to a guy? Uh, for me, I had shoulder surgery. I actually got my bow equal parts in an effort to go bow hunt next season. And also, as kind of a physical rehab thing, I have it, have it set to about 45 pounds, so a little girl weight. <laughs> um, I laugh if you will, whatever. Um, what is, like if you had to come up with, I don't know, a list of five things to do in the first month of learning archery, what would you say the most important are? So I think you're starting good at a low draw weight. Okay. A lot of people will come in and be like, hey, set my bow up to 70 pounds. And they may be able to pull back, you know, 10, 20, 30 times. But the biggest thing when you're starting out is reps. You know, I've seen you shoot a ton already, and that's the biggest thing. Archery, everything needs to be the same every single time. Okay? Repetition. Repetition. Just like shooting a rifle, you know. We're shooting, we're going for small groups, accuracy and precision. So, <clears throat> with that, as much as you can shoot is going to be the biggest thing. So you need to be able to get your form down at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you start building your draw weight on top of that. But don't push yourself too hard. And I know you rehab and all that. You know, you have a roughed up shoulder because you're kind of a wuss. That I am. <laughs> <laughs> Built like a Girl Scout. Built like a Girl Scout. So I think that... What you're doing right now is awesome. You're not trying to push yourself too much, but you're trying to learn at the same time. So that's probably number one. Don't try and overdo yourself. You need to get as much reps as you can. And if that's starting at 45, that's starting at 45. It is extremely easy to sight in your bow once you are proficient at your form. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Is You actually, when you were teaching me, thank you, by the way, for your... Yeah. Lack, for lack of a better term, charitability. Um, you actually took four of my pins, dropped them down, and had me shoot a single pin. Um, you know, what's your thought process there? Is it, is it hey, dude, don't suck with this, or is it, let's take some distractions away? What's the deal? So it's, it's the distractions piece. So when you have you know five, you know six, seven pins, and you're just starting, that can be a lot for a lot of people. And But if you have that one single pin to kind of zone in on, mm-hmm. And that can make it a lot easier for you getting started, you know. And granted, you know, we set you up at 20 yards just because that's what we have right now is a 20-yard range. Um, that way you can get everything done. You can get it all dialed in. The biggest thing was getting your house, your site housing dialed in first. And that's a little bit easier when you're only focusing on one pin. Um, and then... From there, it's easy. It's very easy. Once you got that one and you got all your form set up, it's easy to dial in all those other pins. And once you have your site housing dialed in, you know, you're not going to be really throwing off that much, depending on, again, how big target you're shooting. But I saw a guy today um, leaving the store, was going up towards the checkout counter, which, without saying where I work, um, it's, it's a fairly affluent area. Um, I, I'm going to say, go on limb, uh, the meth played a role in this decision. Um, judging by his appearance and, and the people he was keeping, keeping company with. Go ahead and put that out there. I saw him going up to the front with, uh, even in my JV estimation, probably a bow too small for him. 
and it actually still had a zip tie from our display rack on it. How important is getting a bow set up? Because to me at least, being a firearms guy, I am absolutely ignorant. And I, I, I wanted a bow from nothing else for recreation. I enjoy the heck out of it. It's, it's a way to practice shooting sports in town. Yeah. <clears throat> Archery is very customizable. You know, Maybe. down to your draw weight, draw length, your peep sight, and all that. And if you have the things to do that at home, props to you, honestly. Um, I think it's awesome to have a setup at home where you can do that. And if you have the knowledge to do that. But if you're not doing that right, then that could throw off anything. If your drawing's too long, if your drawing's too short, it can be very hard for you to tune in and get an accurate anchor point. You know, somewhere where you can honestly feel comfortable going to the same place every time. That's what you'd find as anchor point is just a, a full body position, feet up, so, know, feet, feet to fingers. Yeah, when, when I talk when I talk about anchor point, that's kind of where you bring your release to. Okay. That's kind of, so there's three different anchor points that I use. Um, it's my release is one, my, my nose. I use my nose a lot. You know, nose placement is very important to me and I try to preach that. Mm-hmm. Because that is where you bring your head to, into your string. And then the second thing is going to be, I mean, sorry, the third thing for me is your peep sight. You know, if you're not able to look through your peep sight, something's wrong. So the peep sight's the last thing I worry about when I set up a bow for someone. Because I want everything else to be perfect, and then we'll set that peep sight in. Because you need to establish the anchor point that you have before you move your peep sight to. So going on that, and then you talked about, you know, feet placement and all that. That's where you get the reps of shooting because just like, you know, shooting guns, everyone can be a little different. You know, everyone can have their own different little, mm-hmm. you know, small thing. It could be the smallest little thing that they do. And you only figure that out by shooting yourself. Right? Do you agree? Phrasing. Like, you, each one has their own little nick. No, no, I think you missed that phrasing. It, just for the public on, on my firearms expertise kind of uh, guess here. It's uh, it's generally a bad idea to shoot yourself. So, okay, oh, okay, all right. With okay. an arrow or anything else. <laughs> what I meant was to shoot your bow yourself. I gotcha, yeah. I mean, I could show you everything that I do that works for me, but you need to figure out what's going to work for you. And is would you say that is the same for a rifle? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Consistency equals accuracy. And comfort, consistency is generally a direct derivative of comfort. Exactly. You need to be comfortable where you're shooting. And I think that's a big thing. Um, and then, as far as, you know, also getting your bow set up, poundage. We talked about poundage a little bit ago. About making sure you're not going too hard. <laughs> you know, you're not going too high a poundage. Um, you know, where it's going to be a struggle. Because the other thing is, if you're, just stro- if you're just starting, and you're struggling getting that shot off, then what's the fun in that? You know, it's just not a, it's just not a good time. And if you're not having a good time, you're not gonna keep doing it. In, in my stage, I like to, I like to struggle with shot placement. That's that's my current favorite struggles, shot placement in a big way. Yeah, and that's you know, that's something that I I'll do when I go to the range. When I mean, it's the same thing when we sh- when we did like a little bit of tactical shooting. Mm-hmm. I like to you know challenge myself. Tactical shooting. Tactical <laughs> shooting. Tactical shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, I am. I think because I try very hard, I'm anti the word tactical. Uh, my background is in special warfare. 
uh, for 16 years. And uh, I, I, I joke about tactical this and that, tactical that. And uh, I, I really joke about spec, spec ops. I've, I've, in five combat tours, I've been in a lot of hurries a lot of times, if you can imagine. I've never been in a big enough hurry to shorten the word special. <laughs> just, just me. I, I could be an oddball here, but yeah, it's to- total, total fun thing to do. Okay, so the uh, practical, practical, the, practical the, shooting, the practical shooting that we did together, to where it, it challenges your abilities and in hunting, you're hardly ever gonna get that perfect shot where you can stand straight up and you can just aim straight at your target. Sometimes you're gonna be turned a little bit. Sometimes you might be on the knee. There's a lot of different positions, and I like to challenge myself, you know, in those positions so it properly prepares me for you know some. A, position that I might get into but sorry I def I went on that we went on that tangent <laughs> well I would add to one of those things you know those five things that you should do in that first month of shooting mm-hmm. um, and it might not be as important to a lot of our two guys but for me my release is important yes my actual release itself there's so many different releases you got thumb releases trigger releases you got back tension I mean, you have so many and... And it's also how you use your release, too. I mean, there's yeah, so many yeah. different methods, you know. Um, yeah, like it's I a consistency. Like back tension method, but yeah. That is something that, that... Actually, Josh, you pointed out, um, you know, on your release, you give another, you know, eighth an inch or whatever the case may be. To me, on, on a rifle, on a pistol, that is... That's hard no, dude. Yeah. You want that You want that crack shot to be a surprise. No matter what your level of expertise is, that crack needs to be a surprise. But that's something you pointed out that, you know, you're, you're you know, kind of bow ready, finger on the release. That last act, and Brady actually uh, kind of modified that, where I keep my finger almost rigid and allow the release to happen because the expansion of my shoulder blades yeah. was a huge thing for me. It, it, it's a whole different ball game, but I did notice, God, that helped. Yeah. Good Lord, that helped. So, yeah. <clears throat> that's the... Um... So the big two ones that I run into are back tension method mm-hmm. and command shooting. <clears throat> so back tension is what I was telling you about mm-hmm. to where it is kind of that like surprise, but when you roll back and then you just flex your shoulders a little bit and then because you have a back wall and your bow is not going to go any further. So when you go back a little bit, that's actually going to be your release pulling off. Mm-hmm. And that creates a lot less torque than that command shooting where you're actually pulling the trigger and then you can actually get a lot a lot of torquing create a lot of inaccuracy doing that which i did <laughs> yeah so that's <laughs> better believe that <laughs> that's for me the big thing i'm glad you brought that up because i didn't think about that is um you know the actual release that you do because it does need to be consistent you know and you need to make sure you're doing the same find something that's com- comfortable for you you know if you're really good at command shooting all props to you yeah. honestly and uh, if that's your thing, that's your thing, you know. And you know we talk about this all the time. Everyone has a different opinion. So if you're all that, you know, command shooting is the way to go. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. That's my old man voice. It's your old man voice. <laughs> that's my old man voice. Well executed. Because you see, uh, this is actually my old man voice. Because <laughs> <laughs> you see, uh, I mean, a lot of people who are you know in their old ways where they haven't you. They're not willing to try new things and see what works out for them. The same conversation I have with, you know, Whisker Biscuit over drop, drop weight and all that. Yeah. Is they're not willing to experiment, then you don't see a lot of growth. Yeah. Um, 
that makes me add to my other one is your rest. So your rest is one of the biggest pieces on your bow because that's what guarantees your arrow is going to fly straight. So getting a good paper tune, which I need to do on your bow. And then... Trust me. The reason why I'm missing ain't a lack of paper tune. And guaranteeing your arrows flying straight will be a big factor. And that's shown a lot when you start hunting and you get your broadheads on. <clears throat> because I had to talk with um, one, of our, one of our pro archers about broadheads. And I was like, you know, how do you, how do you personally like side in your broadheads and all that? And we got into a conversation about how, why would you need to sight your broadhead in? Because your broadhead is the exact same weight as your field point. But the difference is, is that your broadhead's not tuned right. And that's when you get into, you know, your broadhead's not flying straight. Because if, you're, if your field tip is flying a little bit off and you throw, you know, two planes on that, mm. it's going to tank. You know, if, you're, if your broadhead's just a little bit off, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit low, if you're, I mean, sorry, your field tip's a little bit low, then your broadhead's even going to carry that even more. Yeah. So you need to make sure that everything's flying straight. So he talked to me about actually tuning your broadheads and uh, moving your rest and all that. And it made a whole ton of sense after he made me sound dumb. Speaking of ballistic coefficients, that's the technical term for how aerodynamic and the effects of fast air moving across a plane is. And I love me some ballistic coefficient. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that's it's really important to make sure you have a good rest that's going to fly straight in and it's going to consistently fly straight. Some of the package bows that you know I've come across <clears throat> have really cheap arrow rest that make it very hard to tune and very hard to con be consistent. So that's your big thing, and that's you know I'm going to spend more money, <clears throat> well not more money, but I'm going to spend like relative relative more money. On my rest than I will on my site. You know, I might spend a hundred more dollars on my site, and I might only spend you know fifty more dollars on my rest than a normal one. I'm sorry, I flipped out. Hundred more yeah. dollars on Vice my rest than a site. Vice versa. You know, because your rest is going to play a bigger part because you can you know site stuff in. You know, if you're if you know like you can site in 20, 30, 40, 50 on a rest. I'm going to darn it on a site. <laughs> Then you know you can kind of go from there. You know, there's a lot of people that use those fixed pin sights, but if you can't tune your rest properly, that's going to be a whole different thing. So you need to find some that's going to tune well. And me personally, that's easy to tune. I spent more money, not you know, there the rest that I have, it has the option for a micro tune and for it not to have a micro tune. And I definitely spent the more money for the micro tune because it was so much easier for me to get a an amazing. I mean, I showed you the tear yeah, that I had. I showed you. Mm -hmm. To get a picture perfect paper tune, you know, and it's also good to um, when you're paper tuning, do it at different yardages because you want to make sure your arrow is flying straight. At you know, I only go you know max twenty yards for my paper. I tune. did mine two yards. Look great. <laughs> <laughs> just stellar. kidding. Just kidding. It was stellar. <laughs> because you might be able to get a tune, a good tune at, um, a good tune at. You know, five yards. You may be able to get a good tune at twenty yards. Arrows will correct themselves. You know that's just how they're made. 
but you want it to be able to get a good tune in like five and ten yards as well. You know, you don't want an arrow flying off weird because broadhead might not be able to correct itself the same way a field point will. So I think that's super important. Um, and then a site that's going to be easy for you to see and one that's going to be, you're going to be able to sight in very well. I also really like microtune sights. Um, they are a little bit more expensive, obviously, but you're able to get a better at longer yardages because you're able to do the very little tunes. Those sites where you unscrew it and move it yourself, those can be tough because we all know humans aren't great at doing things. Yeah, no. absolutely. Except me. Except for Andy. Andy's perfect. Andy's <laughs> so far. Perfect adjacent so yeah. far. And then um, I'd say another really important thing is your, your error choice. You know, and that's your whole setup. You know, you want to have a good front of center. You want to have a you know the right weight, right spine. Definitely got, the right spine. I've got for target. Um, XS NV three hundred forties. X five. X excuse me. X five. Reading is fundamental, kids. Uh, once again, <laughs> education. I'm gonna go back to the Kentucky education thing. I love me some Kentucky. Um, but yeah, X five NVs. Uh, I think these are. These are pretty good. I mean, these are definitely as good as I am, if not more. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong when you're just starting, getting yeah. just a, a pretty basic arrow. You know, it's some. You know, you might break arrows, you might lose arrows. You know, until you get to that you know point. Like I, when I'm you know target shooting, I shoot three arrows, no more than that. You know, because you, I don't want. You know, I'm not trying to make my sound myself sound better than I am, but like Robin Hooding. It's cool the first time, but you know when I'm spending a hundred dollars for a six pack of arrows, that's not fun. Yeah, you know? shooting. Uh, I, I'll relate that to shooting. Uh, shooting steel core ammo to steel targets really fun. Yeah. Never, ne- never. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely. You know, I always recommend when people who are getting started, I just give them a basic arrow, something that you know it's, they're, it's not going to kill them if they lose or break. But when you get into the honey aspect of it. Then I start, you know, really focusing on, you know, the kinetic energy, your front of center, um, and with kinetic energy, you get weight and speed and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you showed me this, this really cool this aluminum core carbon wrapped Easton's. Those are, yes. those are, those are God status to me. So, I mean, me personally, I shoot the Easton Full Metal Jackets. Um, the, they are heavier arrows, so you do get a little bit more kinetic energy. And I also, I also focus, you know, on how many feet per second my bow is shooting with those arrows. Because I want to stay at a certain point, you know, yeah, I'm okay shooting a little bit under 300. I'd like to be a little bit over 300 feet per second. But then from there, I add weight on it. You know, if I'm still shooting 300 feet per second with, you know, 125 grain tip and and I think it's uh, like 11.3 grains per inch on my full metal jacket. No, mine, but uh, on a full metal jacket, I'd rather that because you get a lot more kinetic energy. You get a little more punch in your arrow. Um, so that's, I mean, I could, like Andy said a little bit ago, I can geek out on arrows and I can geek yeah. out on feet per second and all that, but, uh, arrow choices is really important when you're getting into the hunting. Not necessarily, you can get a cheaper arrow when you are just starting because you really see the differences at, you know, if you start shooting longer range, just like with ammunition, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll notice a big difference between the arrows that, you know, you're shooting right now, Andy, and the arrows that I shoot at 50, 60, 70 yards, you know, you know, when you get arrow straightness and then you get your front of center and then you get your, um, even like your fletchings are very important too. 
That all factors into it. For uh, for you guys living in the real world, actually. Thank you, Google. Uh, one grain is point zero 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 one four three pound. You know, you hear gun guys talk about grain weight and bullets and Brady archery guys. Brady's literally made my eyes gloss over about uh about grain weight on arrows. <laughs> yeah, it's uh point zero 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 one four three pound. So for what that's worth. <laughs> Thanks for, that. Thanks for that educational fact. Hey, man. Acquiring minds must know. <laughs> so, I think that's super important then. Okay. Um, I mean, I think we really touched on everything. I mean, then you can get, you know, once you start shooting more and you want to upgrade your things, then you start, you know, looking at stabilizers, start making sure, you know, you'll see the difference between, you know, cheap quivers and, you know, a little bit more expensive quivers and how they affect how you shoot versus, you know, because that's, you know, depending on the weight. I mean, that's, I got to man, I gotta man my arrows out of my quiver, dude. My, I'm scared I'm going to break one of those little twigs. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start looking at, you know, arrow diameter, surface area, yeah, all that yeah. good stuff. And there will be an episode where we geek off about this. Oh, well, I, think, is, I, I think that's this episode already. <laughs> <laughs> just a big Q&A on just archery. Um, but it's just, I mean, we talk about this with guns, so you have to feel comfortable with your bow. If you're hunting and you're not comfortable, confident, and like you said, competent, you're going to injure an animal. You're going to, you know, maybe injure yourself. You're going to be a liability and not an asset to humanity as a whole. Exactly. You don't want that in conscience. And, you know, it's baby seals die. They're super cute. It's, you know, it's bad scale all in all. God, those dang baby (laughs) seals. Uh, Alright, well I think we touched on, does that cover some of the... Yeah, it did. Uh, actually, and I'm glad I asked you that question yeah. on air so I can, I can exhibit my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, I think we were going to talk about some optics. Alright, yeah. Um, what do you got for us? Shifting gears back to the, uh, let's call it kinetic side of things. Super sexy term, let's just call it kinetics. Um, back to rifle scopes. Or back to rifles in general. One thing I do see with a lot of a lot of people coming in, uh, be them, the majority of our rifle buyers are hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a few long range shooters, but a a big running theme is overscoping the snot out of a rifle. Just because you have a three hundred Win Mag, a true, let's call it fifteen to eighteen hundred meter cartridge, does not mean you need to put the Hubble telescope on it. And uh, you know, if you're not a shooter with a 243, you definitely don't need to put a 25 by on there, which I have seen and mounted happily and accurately. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I will say once again, there's no wrong way to celebrate Second Amendment. Outfit your rifle with whatever you want. But just like earlier with non-probability of threat uh, and potentially carrying a gun on a daily basis, uh, legally and responsibly, may, may I add. Let's look at the probability of your range to a target. Uh, not just what your caliber can do. A, a bullet can shoot a billion miles, but you know what's the point if you can't see it? Also, what's the point seeing a billion miles if you can't shoot it? I generally, when somebody asks for an optic, my first thing, my first question is, is it a meat gun or is it a target gun? You know, are we going after, going after deer, elk, um, you know, prairie dogs, whatever the case may be? Field potatoes is what I like to call them. But anyway, are we going after that stuff or are we just trying to punch paper or pop steel or whatever the case may be? So that leads us down to two, kind of a decision tree. Two big, two big uh, 
forks in the road. With the hunting scope, what I prefer, I value ethically and fundamentally, I value field of view and situational awareness of the target area overall because once again, wounded animal isn't just unethical. Uh, killing a mother with, with two calves, killing, killing a, a cow elk with two calves behind her isn't just unethical. It's generally just an asshole thing to do, man. We got, between cutting that guy off on the freeway earlier to get to your exit and flipping the dude off when he honked his horn at you for doing so, we got enough bad juju built up already, man. We, we don't need to be out there being assholes to animals. But anyway, without getting super duper hippy dippy, because screw those folks. <laughs> it is what it is. And you just lost about three listeners. Yeah. <laughs> this not being my podcast, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. In any event, um, field of view to me is very important hunting. Uh, and because of that, I generally do err on the side of, of a wider field of view. Uh, I'm building my... I'm building kind of a do-it-all rifle. I, I do want to be able to do... Uh, some PR, precision rifle competitions with it, um, not bench rest, practical rifle shooting at very long range. Uh, but I'm also actually building as a, as a hunting gun, so my objective weight is about 10 and a quarter pounds, uh, 10, and a, 10 and a half 11 in PRS mode and in long range mode. And in hunting mode with my hunting scope, my objective weight, hopefully without throwing too many hundred dollar bills at the problem, is a and that's the way, literally, if you're chasing weight, dude, that's the way it is. You throw $100 bills at the problem. <laughs> carbon fiber this, carbon fiber that. I want titanium bolts to save a quarter of a gram. <laughs> Eat less cheeseburgers. You'll <laughs> save a quarter zero, of a gram. Zero, zero, zero. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, my objective way hunting, it's, you know, high nines, very low 10 pounds. But because of that, I'm actually going with the Viper HS, the Vortex Viper HS 2.5 to 10. Um, I've had... Um, this is your hunting scope. Yeah, hunting scope for okay. sure. Um, in in other countries, I've had very good, uh, very good shots with a ten by scope. Uh, I feel that you know most game animals in North America, most large game animals, are completely harvestable with a ten power scope up to and including you know that we're talking the the I think objectively even even out west here. A long range. We're talking the five to six hundred meter category. I don't think ethically I would take a five six hundred meter shot in Colorado proper. I think in the mountains, in anybody's book, four hundred meters is a long, long shot. You want to convert that in yards for us? Uh, yes. Just yards? just for us guys who Jeez, go into I've, yards. I've, I've been retired too long. I, I actually don't know meters to yards. Oh, the three point two six feet per meter. Excuse me. 3.26 feet per meter. All right. Yeah. So you're getting just a little bit more out of your meters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of know. <laughs> no, I, I, I just in, in, I focus on yards. All right, <laughs> let, let's, let's go to 400 yards. I think a 400-yard shot in the Rockies proper in the mountains is a long shot. Yeah. I mean, in GMA 18, great public land up here in Colorado. Uh, by that, I mean uh, none of you tourists come here and go there. <laughs> stay, um, it, it's it's, stay it's great in Appalachia. Oh, stay yeah. there. That's all the mountains you want. It's high, it. air's thin, blah, blah, blah. Hills are steep. Hills are <laughs> steep. Um, in any event, I, I think 400 yards is a very long shot there. Yeah. A lot of times in the timbers, you know, you're looking at a 40, 80, 80-yard 80 shot window at most. Mm-hmm. And that's where a scope that goes down to that 2.5 to 10 like the Viper does, that's where that comes into play is your field of view there and your ability to acquire a target quickly in that, you know, 4 to 8, maybe 12-second shot window if you're lucky. 
that's where that low zoom comes into play. And at those longer at those longer yard shots, if you're you know, camping out in a clear cut, you see that animal crosshairs on it, and you've got you know 15, 18 meters per yards. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Dang hillbillies. <laughs> you've got that stuff per side of the animal you can check out. And once again, you know, the situation where it's a target area, whether it's reading the wind, whether it's, you know, seeing seeing what else heck, I'd I'd hate to take a I'd hate to take a small buck when there's one right next to I mean, hell, dude. The bottom line is you're looking out for yourself. Um, you know, if there's if there's a better animal twenty yards away and you can see it through the scape through the same zoomed in scope. Dude, adjust your point of aim and take that freaking shot every time. So a low zoom and wide field of view is is a preference of mine, but I do feel like it's important. And the other thing is where that comes into play, I read my terrain. I know where I'd like to hunt. I know where my potential probability of success is. If my probability of success is basically dropping a bullet on an animal from a tree stand, I... I Okay, cool. Buy a slingshot, um, or, or or get get a lower power scope. Um, there there are a lot of good scopes out now. It's, I'm telling you guys, man, 2020 is a hell of a time to be alive. You know, 200 bucks gets you a Dimeback, which is their their mid level scope. So we see a big improvement in all lighting conditions. And I promise, I'm not sponsored by Vortex. I genuinely do just think they're the best scope for the money. Well, Vortex. Yeah, Vortex yeah, for sure. Yeah, Rocky Vortex, Vortex shirt. shirt, yeah. You only got paid 15 bucks to wear that off hey, I camera. Got, I got that for free. Okay. <laughs> uh, pro shooter over here. Pro uh, shooter, in, yeah. in, in any event, um, you know, 200 bucks gets you a, a 4 to 12, a 3 to 9 in their mid-level scope, which you're going to see a big payoff in shot placement and consistency and everything else. Um, the other side of things, on the plink and steel side shooting targets, we have the, the quote-unquote tactical side scopes. Cool guy, flat bill, lifted truck, whatever you want to say. Um, you have the tactical oh, yeah, scopes. Brother. You know, with your with your turrets, the, the hallmarks of a tactical scope, what you can use to kind of discern them when you're looking at this. Because in our shop, we have, what did you guys say, probably 40 feet of scope case that is honestly dizzying to look at. Because mm-hmm. they they're, they're aluminum, they're black, they got glass in them, and maybe a crosshair. I'm all right, done. Super, super common. They're all the same. Currently redoing them. <laughs> Josh is doing a very, actually, good job of making them somewhat cognizant to the average, uh, average looker. <laughs> In any event, the tactical style or target style scopes, generally, you're going to notice on the turrets those two things we use for adjustment. Those instead of being under hard caps, they're exposed, uh, so we can actually make it when we're laying down prone, shooting at a target x yards away or meters. Um, you know, you can take that shot and adjust on the fly where that hits. The other thing that, that tactical or target scopes have is what I call a technical reticle, which means that reticle is a known unit of measure, uh, which means it's an angular unit, not like, you know, one MOA is one inch. One MOA is 1.047 inches at 100 yards, which does add up in a big, big way. Um, so let's let's get our minds out of a linear unit. You know, you roll your tape measure out, and more into an angular angular unit is is Absolutely. you know imagine a pi a pi square, except it continues to infinity. The end of that pi slice is fifteen miles tall at the horizon line, but six inches in front of you, it's you know it's a pi slice. So 
With the tactical scope, we have an angular unit of measurement. And what that allows us to do is keep a consistent holdover of our target or measure a target at a known distance. If I know that the target is 18 inches tall and it's taken up two or three squares in my um, MOA reticle, then I know that target is 230 meters away because I can do some longhand math to spike Kentucky. I can do some longhand math and figure out, okay, cool, it, it takes up this much at 200 yards, a little bit over that, 230. Let's call it that, pop, tink, good to go. Mm -hmm. What I do caution a lot of people, and this is this very much is in the realm of overscoping a rifle and uh, chasing that cool guy tactical look. Um, guys take these technical reticles and these exposed turrets and put them on a hunting gun. And ethics aside, it's just a stupid thing to do. You know, you're, you're missing targets, you're wasting ammo, you're, you're blowing the guy in the next original line overshot because every animal within 15 miles heard that 300 wind mag that you put a billion times scope on crack off <laughs> and then missed the damn animal. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it could be something as simple as you're carrying a rifle and it brushes up against your leg and that that cool guy exposed turrets that looks awesome on the flat gun range mm -hmm. got turned, you know, two and a half revolutions. It's a big, big, big difference at 200 yeah, yards. Yeah, you're off three. Yeah, you're off three feet. Yeah. Um, other stuff on the on the you know getting away from that that first intersection of, of hunting scope versus a tactical scope or a target scope is the zoom range. Once again, guys, let's let's look at and gals, of course. Um, let's look at where we're hunting and adjust on that. If it's if it's you know East Coast thick brush. Putting some, honestly, they're marketed towards ARs, but something like a low-power variable, that is an awesome option. Um, a lot of companies now are making a 1-6 to six or mm -hmm. a 1-8 to scope that is a phenomenal brush gun scope. You've got you got a field of view you can damn near see behind you. I swear to God, it's great. Mm -hmm. So super wide field of view, super quick target acquisition based on that wide field of view. And, hey, if it's, if it's 100 yards away... And eight power or six power doesn't do it for you a hundred yards away, dude. Rewind this episode to twenty minutes ago, thirty minutes ago, and re-listen to what I said about training. Train more. If, if eight by if eight power isn't enough for hundred yards, you got fundamental issues. Absolutely. Yep. And just getting out there, over and over, repetition. Same with archery. You know. Right. And I found it to be easier to get more reps in. Mm-hmm. In the, the archery. This being rifles and reels, kind of focus more on the sportsman side of things rather than the, just the blowing off steam at the range side. Um, a lot of scopes, I think the majority of scopes the hunters need to be looking at are BDC reticles. It stands for Bullet Drop Compensator. Um, those, if you look through a scope, you're going to have the vertical stadia, and the vertical line through it, not the crosshairs, and different hash marks at different levels on that line. They're not necessarily evenly spaced, but they're not supposed to be. What that does is, theoretically, for a given caliber, if I'm shooting 308, a 0 to 100 yards, my first hash mark is at 200. Mm -hmm. My second hash mark is at 250. My third hash mark is at 300. Yeah. That isn't necessarily... If you guys find a smoking deal on a scope, on the same realm as my training, if, if, this, it, if the difference between spending $200 on a $400 scope that isn't for your specific caliber, if that gets you into a better scope... And that motivates it to go shoot and train and get an animal and put food on your family's table. 
dude, put that clean, natural meat on your family's table. Get that smoking deal on a scope. Mm-hmm. Then go out to the range. Okay, so it's for it's for a 300 Win Mag, whatever the case may be. Okay, so figure out for 300 Win Mag, oh, it's supposed to be 250. Well, I'm at 270, it's 200. Well, get up to the range and try it, man. If, if that first hash mark is supposed to be 250, but it's 200 for you, well, then, hell, that's an awful interesting mathematical coincidence. <laughs> mark down in your mind or on your scope cap that the first hash mark is 200. Yeah. It's a pretty round number to remember. <laughs> so, you know, on that same note of, you know, cheap training, 22s, find a local trainer. Don't ignore those closeout scopes on, on the rack. I would stay away from uh, Burris, but whatever. Your tech. Or your tech's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> you know, don't, don't let... Well, this BDC is for this That's caliber. That's for the tactical. Yes. Yeah, it, it's not caliber specific. It, I just had to throw that in because we know how much Andy loves EOTech. Just beyond Springfield Armory. Just beyond Springfield Armory. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I'm getting at is if this scope gets you into better glass, mm-hmm. which is going to make your life a lot easier in the field, then get that scope, do some homework, spend another day and a half on the range, because, oh my God, i got to shoot. Freaking first world problems, guys. First world problems, and gals. First world problems. Get out of the range and, and train with that scope and figure out that, hey, man, that second hash mark is 230. Take a piece of notebook paper, tape it on the inside of your scope cap, and write line 2, 230. Mm-hmm. Pretty freaking simple. So I wouldn't necessarily let uh, let budget stay in the way for, if you find a smoking deal, and I wouldn't necessarily say that a BDC reticle is only for X caliber. No X-Men pun intended. I'm not that big a nerd. But <laughs> we had that, what was that, an X-Men comic up here? Yeah. A little bit ago? I, was, I was a little Is hit on somebody in the room. That yeah. comic we had? This, uh, or I guess that's the sword job. I don't know. I, I lost myself on that one. But in any event, um, you know, more money spent on glass or better quality glass, even better solution to more money is better quality glass is very rarely regretted. When I tell a lot of people, whether it's rifle scopes or spotting scopes or range finders or binos, the biggest difference in scopes overall, be it on the tactical side or the hunting side, is that entry level to the first first level and mid-level. Um, that's where you see our 24-hour payoff. Mid-level to high level, let's say it's a 20% difference uh, between the levels. So entry to mid is usable almost all day, every day. Mid to high, it's the same incremental difference, but only during, let's say, 5 to 10% of the day. So, two factors on that. A, if you're a hunter that knows absolutely for sure, sun rises at 530 and I'm going to have my rifle on target by 532, I want you to look up Josh's contact info, send him an email with grid coordinates, and we're going to do actually a, I don't want to volunteer you guys. No, absolutely. I think we're going to do an on-site episode there. <laughs> we're we're going to be there probably by next weekend. We'll record. Going into major credit card debt to get last-minute airline tickets, but worth it. Um, anyway, if you're sure that, that, that you're the target, you're the guy that's going to shoot low light all day, awesome. Get that mega Mac Daddy awesome Night Force scope or the, the, the Viper PST mm-hmm. or the you know Leopold VX5, VX6. Awesome scopes. All of them are phenomenal quality glass. Well, I think that... So, hunting aspect, I mean, you're not going to be kicking yourself when it's 5 a.m. and still dark out, mm-hmm. and somehow you can still see that buck 100 yards away. 
Yeah, and, and that's, that's a very good argument for that top end scope. But on the mortal range, right? You know, in in, in the all inclusive range of things, yeah. Do stepping up from the, from the one nineteen to the one eighty nine level is all it takes. Exactly. Or hell, honestly, the crossfire. We have a crossfire on the shelf right now for one eighty nine. We have a Diamondback in the same zoom range for one ninety nine. Why wouldn't you spend ten dollars? <laughs> Big difference. That's that's less than half a box of ammo. Big difference. Um, but you know, hey, if if you're the guy that, that takes a shot by five thirty two and is packing up the truck by six fifteen, dude, awesome. We'll be there soon. Yeah, let, let <laughs> us know where that is. Yeah, I'd like to know that spot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. Put that in on actual. Like quick. that. That's yeah. a that's a Texas thing right there. That would be. A <laughs> we got we got the feed ready, guys. <laughs> it turns on at four thirty. <laughs> They're there by five. <laughs> if it works, it works. Oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not down in it. Uh, you know, let me go. Let me a side note that I work at, speaking of optics and working out this counter a good bit. One thing I've noticed that a lot of guys neglect um, rangefinders are they, they're the most technological piece of equipment we probably carry on us, other than maybe a phone or a GPS. In the actual shooting aspect, rangefinders are in archery and in rifle shooting, more importante, man. We're talking, talking of almost at this point an, a need to have item. Exactly. Yeah, agreed. Tactics vary greatly between hunters and between regions, for sure. But I can almost guarantee that you are going to use a rangefinder during setup. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, my whole yeah. hunt that I don't have game out in front of me, or I'm, you know, anytime I stop, right? I'm absolutely just playing, ranging, manifesting. And, and when, when you leave the truck or leave leave base camp at five fifty, at four fifty, oh four fifty, whatever. Yeah. That rangefinder, I can almost guarantee, it's going to come out in the dark. It's going to come out in bad lighted conditions. Yeah. That is one reason why I see a lot of guys. They focus on the cool colors or the the God forbid the price point. Jesus, God forbid the price point. I don't spend a million dollars, but don't spend one hundred and twenty. But that is one piece of equipment that I almost guarantee you will use during low lights. So when you look at those rangefinders, guys. Let's look at the light transmission through those because we freak out about how big the lenses of our binos are and, and our 50 millimeter objectives on a rifle scopes, which causes us to put extra high mounts and get a shitty cheek weld. We freak out about all that, but we don't ever consider light transmission in a rangefinder. Exactly. Which we're almost guaranteed to use during setup in poor lighting conditions. Whether you're hunting at dawn or dusk, that is the one piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. Even on a failed hunt, you're going to get out in crummy light. Oh yeah, I mean, I may not even shoot my rifle, or might not even shoot my bow, but I can tell you, I'm going to range about fifty times. Absolutely, in yeah. in bad lighting conditions. Yeah. So what let's that, look. Let's look at true? light transmission. <laughs> yeah, let's look true? at light what's transmission. The what's the true right next in to range finders? <laughs> and the other secret of that from the gun counter guy is no matter what, do not go back the very next season and look for a range finder when you got the one you wanted the season before, because it's like an iPhone. You, yeah. get the I- you get the iPhone 37, and the, the week after you get it is going to be the iPhone 1 billion. Yeah. It's going to be 50 times better for less freaking money. Don't frustrate yourself. Get the rangefinder you want. Spend two to $300 on it, and call it good until the thing craps the bed. Until always, it doesn't work. I always tell people, I have so many people come, and they're like, hey, can, can I check out this Halo for $99? And I'm like, yeah, but I need you to understand something. This is... A, a piece. That's not you're gonna, wasting that's $99. Not gonna perform. That's what I'm saying. I always tell people, like, I'm convinced you're getting an investment. 
Every, yeah. Everything is an investment for a sex, like a successful hunt. Mm-hmm. A sexy hunt, huh? A sexy hunt. <laughs> I love sexy If it's successful, hunts. it better be sexy. <laughs> so, I mean, um, so I, mean, I had the Vortex, the 3500, but what a lot of things said, they saw that they have like, well, I didn't even look at their new models because I love my range friend that I've had for like three years. Yeah. But. Good outlook. Yeah. Well, yeah I, don't, I don't need to change <laughs> it. So, I mean, they usually have like three or four different models. Um, and the, the difference that they show people is the range that they go to, but I'm not as focused. The reason I bought the 3,500, I'm not shooting 3,500 yards. No way. But have you seen the, the speed difference on each different level? So don't just look at the yardage. Make sure you actually take the range finder out and look how fast it's going to range. And you know, a lot of them have, I know mine has a scan feature. Look how accurate and quick that scan feature is because I mean, big, archery range is so dang important to the five yards to the three yards to the two yards i i mean you know when you're sub 100 yards you know it's poor of back poor van yeah. yeah so rifle <clears throat> but it's such a big difference that you need a range friend that's going to be quick and your range friends can be accurate and the other thing is um i can't think of the word right now but when it takes into account the angle that you're shooting at Basically, the way I explain to people is most quality rangefinders have two different modes. Uh, once once we eclipse that $200, $220 price point, should have two modes. Easiest way to explain it is we all know end zone to end zone, other than maybe our random one or two. Dick soccer fan. No, one, one or two uh, British followers who may be in, <laughs> in the 35 years we're planning on this thing going. Um, so end zone to end zone football field's 100 yards, right? Now imagine you're standing on the top of a goal post at the at that end zone. Your actual point to point distance if you're zooming or if you're lazing the other end zone is gonna be let's say one oh six. It's hundred six meters angular distance. Yeah, you're going, straight line. You're also you're not going to straight across one Yeah, down, what what you're trying to explain is that there's hundred and six meters as the crow flies, if you will. Exactly. Versus that range finder saying it's one hundred meters at a negative two degree angle. Mm-hmm. So that, specifically in archery, can be very important. Exactly. Well, I mean, we said, you know, every yard is important. And if you're not getting the right angle right, you're not going to be aiming. Like, like I said, it may be 20 yards, you know, straight point line. to point, straight line. But I may be on top of a steep-ass mountain. Or tree you know, stand for our East Coast guys. Or a tree stand. East Coast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how we hunt back home. Exactly. To where your angle is so important to where you're shooting, you know, 30, 35 yards. You know, depending on where it's at, I know that's kind of a, that's not real, but. <laughs> I think another thing to touch on those rangefinders, and it can be deceptive to a lot of guys that come in, a lot of those ranges, you know, for like a 3500, that's a reflective range. That's mm-hmm. a range that it like will capture at a reflective source. You know, if you're hitting at a deer at 3,000 yards and it says it can range 3,500, you are not going to capture that. You're Most rangefinders are, are six by zoom. And that's a total side note, but that's another thing. That, you know, so we have our out west 10 by 42 is the standard uh, binos. I use maybe 8 by, eight by 42, 8 by yeah, 50. Maybe. I use 10 by 42. Um, but, you know, it, that's, a, once again, an overlooked thing. That if you're looking at an 80-yard 80 80 yard shot or you're glassing or whatever in the timbers... If you get a range finder that has good light transmission, you basically have a six by monocular that you can very much use to glass. It, it's it just another tool in the toolbox. Don't think of it just as a yardometer. It's a magnifying object. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. On that note, it, it, since I already plugged Vortex, what I will say, my gold standard of what we have the case from you know, the, the 109 Halos to the $600, $700 um, Leopolds and uh, Leicas is honestly oh, my, yeah. my take on it. My my gold standard was, in Embrace Marseille, this was the Ranger 1300. Affordable price point, great performance, unbeatable warranty. Honestly, man, Sig is doing a wonderful job. Sig, the Sig, yeah. Sig Kilo Two Thousand. It's oh, a. Those it's, are awesome. It's like a kind of brushed cool. steel looking case around what with two fifty nine. If you can find it on sale, three hundred bucks normal street price. Yeah. Dude, the I never realized how blue a Vortex rangefinder looked until I checked out that Sig. Mm-hmm. The returns on that are smoking fast. The clarity, once again, you've got a six by monocular at that point. Yeah. You can. In the timbers, you can use that as a six by monocular instead of having to overzoom with a ten by pair of binoculars or overzoom with a rifle scope. Hey, dude, it's not just a yardometer; it can be a, a legit optical enhancement device. No, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Actually, so when I was purchasing my um, rangefinder, my favorite was the Sig. I just got to kick it. The, their prices came down a lot. Their yeah. price came down a whole lot. And on that note, you know, this is Vortex. They're a great company. Their warranty sex to none. But I think on the may have been over preaching the Second Amendment thing. I don't think there's such a thing as that. But when we have an opportunity to vote with our wallet, we probably should. Um, you know, both Sig and Vortex are American-owned companies. A lot of the stuff is made overseas. I get that. But yeah, you know, if if a Halo is two hundred bucks and it's going straight to China, hey, spend two twenty, buy American. It supports good workers. Yeah. No, I agree. Support yourselves. Vote with your wallet if you can. Hey, go America. It's go America. It's Hell yeah. <laughs> the economy itself as a whole. You know, I hear so much talk about overseas this, overseas that. Prices are dropping. I love a good deal. Hell yeah. I love a good deal. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Amazon Prime, that shit. <laughs> right? Get it here in two days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two days. What a time. The good news is a lot of it comes with free coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you gotta add a line to it. Yeah, first. true. <laughs> well, Andy, man, I truly and honestly have appreciated you coming on and talking with us. Is there anything else you'd like to end on? Uh, don't be a fud. Don't be a fud. I don't like that. Fud. Don't be a, a fud. A fud. A fud is that's uh, a play on Elmer Fudd, the old cartoon character. A uh, fud could be a guy that you know you're nothing wrong with it if it works for you. You're, uh, you know, four shots a year, three three for zero and one for the dare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it could be that or it could be somebody that, that is, I think to put it very lightly, um, a big thing that I've dedicated at least a lot of my calories to um, in training. Anybody who represents gun owners or Second Amendment activists or hunters or sportsmen or outdoorsmen, um, in a negative light, in an unprofessional light, you know, you got to realize, you know, if, if you're out scouting and there's some hikers and you're a jerk to them, that very much could be their only interaction with a gun owner, period, let alone a gun owner that uses it for the righteous purpose of hunting to put meat on his family's table. So if at all possible, be professional. Don't be a FUD. Be an asset, not a liability. Yeah. And on the, on the you know, ra- meeting random hikers or whatever, be kind to people whenever possible, and train until your fingers bleed. Train hard. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Yep. Go check out TFT. I got a great. We'll, great uh, we'll leave a link 
Don't yeah, I, so far I don't have Instagram and I don't have any content because. Oh my god. Gen- uh, sue me, dude. We're trying Gen- to rep the TFT and you don't even have so content. So my, it's it's my Instagram is at TFT Concepts. I would love followers. Um, I focus mainly on tactical shooting, but I guarantee there will be tips and tricks on there for all sorts of thing. And I have access to a lot of cool goodies. So if you want to see some cool shit, get on there. Um, the big thing why, why maybe liking content right now is actually, trust me, if you come train. When I'm on the range, I assure you that I'm 100% focused on you and 0% focused on taking pictures for social media. That's good. I feel better about the Generally thought of as a good thing. If I'm not just telling you to shoot like an asshole and take pictures of you, generally that's a good thing from a trainer. Yeah. And even if you're just getting into it, I mean, I mean, he's very he's very good for beginners. I, I love seeing that progress. And, and yeah. that progress is the reason why my beautiful eight-year-old little girl may hopefully is able to have the guns that she has a right to and, and take politics and everything out of it but the ability to equalize the reason versus force argument when she's my age yeah excellent anything else no I I think that was good well, be a good patriot yeah I'll be a good patriot well this is Josh Brady Andy and we'll see you next time oh yeah